Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Mm, Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Cat Disgusted, a podcast for veterinary technicians and the people and animals who love them. Each episode, we explore the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson. I'm an RVT and veterinary technician specialist in emergency and critical care. And this is what happens. Ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in to Cat Disgusted. I thought we were way overdue uh, for one of the segments that I get the most comments about, uh, which is the stupid breeds segment. And I'll tell you why it's time to do the stupid breeds. Uh, Because I just saw one of my best friends in the whole world um, from Alaska, and it reminded me how much I just fell in love with the dogs that I met in Alaska, which is a very strange thing for a veterinary technician to say, because those of you who are listening who are working veterinary technicians or have worked as veterinary technicians know that huskies fall to the bottom of the list when it comes to veterinary patients. Uh, But there's a reason why that is. And I think it's worth exploring a little bit here on our humble podcast. So uh, without further ado, uh, I give you the stupid breed of the Siberian Husky. How much is that dog in the window? (laughs) The one with the waggly tail. How much is that dog in the window? I do hope that dog is for sale. I must take oh, a trip to So I do feel like it's it's good to be specific about what kind of husky we're talking about because you know there's there's a couple different kinds that you're gonna see. Um, there's a couple different kinds uh, that are working dogs versus more like designery dogs. So I think I think it's important to be specific about what kind of husky we're talking about here. Um, so the one that I'm gonna kind of focus on is like the the breed, like AKC recognized breed is the Siberian Husky. Now there are also Malamutes. Um, that's another type of Husky. Uh, there's also the Alaskan Husky. And that's the one that I had all the contact with uh, it when I was in Alaska with my bestie and her dogs, which were awesome. Um, so I think what we'll, what we'll do is we'll start with the Beauty Queen. That's the Siberian Husky. And then we'll talk a little bit about the Alaskan Husky at the end. So The one that is the signature look, like the one that you're going to see 
in the dog shows, the one that is kind of the iconic one that's in the Disney movies. That's the look of the Siberian Husky. And there's no denying that those dogs are very, very, very pretty. I mean, that's the Eskimo snow dog. That's the one that that is the the hero uh, in in the, all the fairy tales, the hero in the Disney movies. It's got like the the real pointy ears, those like ice blue eyes, the kind of diamond shaped like black and white patterns on the face, you know. So where did these guys come from? You know, I mean, as their name suggests, their ancestors came from the Siberian Arctic and they were raised by uh, an indigenous tribe. I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but Chukchi is how it's spelled, C-H-U-K-C-H-I, the Chukchi tribe. Um, that's who raised these dogs. Now, um, the, Amaskin, the Alaskan Malamute, it's closely related. They look pretty similar. Malamutes are a little bit bigger. Um, they were both brought to northern Alaska for sled dog use, and that was in the early 1900s. And so this is where we kind of get the name uh, Husky is when they're introduced into northern Alaska. So Husky actually comes from the word Eskimo. Now, Eskimo, that's a really problematic word. It's a dreadfully broad term that's used for, was used more commonly for all Inuit people. Um, Some ways of saying it, uh, of saying uh, Eskimo, and in relation to these dogs, they would say Uski, or they would say Uskame. So Husky dog kind of comes from this usage of the word Eskimo and like these dogs derived from Eskimos. So those are the dogs uh, that that were part of the team that led what was called the Great Race of Mercy. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing in, uh, I think, in like dog history, but also human history. There is a disease called diphtheria. Diphtheria is something that we are all vaccinated against. So hooray for vaccines. Hooray if you don't know what diphtheria is. You don't know what diphtheria is because it's very rare because of vaccinations. I'm just putting that out there. Um, This race uh, that I'm referring to, so in 1925 in Alaska, it was called the Great Race of Mercy. And it was called that after the fact. Uh, But basically what this was, there was a diphtheria epidemic that happened in Alaska during that time. Now, diphtheria is a terrible thing that causes like plaques in your oral cavity and in your upper airway, and you can suffocate to death. Uh, So it requires an antitoxin, not an antibiotic, but an antitoxin to get rid of this. Diphtheria is kind of in the same uh, disease category as anthrax. Uh, And so it's a clostridial, clostridial disease. It's a terrible thing. So what you need is an antitoxin. And the way to get that antitoxin to these remote areas where this outbreak was, the only real way that you could get there was with sled dogs. And so there was a a team of sled dogs that carried this antitoxin to Nome, N-O-M-E, Nome, Alaska, which is way in the north, really difficult to get to. And they, they took this antitoxin with the sled dogs all the way through the crazy terrain, Uh, Over a period of days, in the winter, snow, crazy, frostbite, awfulness, dogs were heroes. The people driving the dogs were heroes, saved these children's lives. Today, that race is memorialized as the Iditarod. That's where the Iditarod race comes from. 
Now, there were two uh, famous lead dogs named Balto and Togo. Um, those lead dogs are actually, you know, there's a lot of dogs that were descended from those two lead dogs. Now, another interesting fact, if you've ever been to uh, Central Park in New York City, there is the Balto statue, which is this dog statue. It's kind of like a landmark. If you kind of don't know where you are, you get lost. You can go to the Balto statue. Meet me at the Balto statue. Statue. Um, Balto was one of those lead dogs uh, to deliver the depth, the diphtheria antitoxin to northern Alaska to these children. Um, there's also a memorial to Balto in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, which is where I have been. So fun fact about these dogs. Now, let's talk about uh, what type of dogs these are. These are definitely working dogs working dogs so they they thrive in groups they thrive um around human groups they were raised around families um and they so that means that they've been bred to be around children they've always been around children around families and generally that's still the case that huskies are are pretty good uh with kids uh, for the most part this is also uh, why they're really not good at being left alone. Uh, huskies are notorious house destroyers. They're anxious. They get lonely. They get bored. Uh, they also have a super high prey drive, meaning like they really want to chase things. They really want to chase squirrels or mice or rats or cats or small dogs. Um, and the reason why that is, is because uh, originally the Chukchi tribe, they would allow these dogs to roam free in the summer um, so they could hunt for themselves. Uh, and wintertime was like work time because that's when they were needed to go across the snow and the ice. So that's when they were closer to all the people. Now, because they were raised in this kind of independent fashion, these dogs, man, they are notorious for escaping yards. They're notorious for not coming back to their owners when they're off leash. I mean, they got their, they got things to do. They got places to be. Um, you know, I have a good friend who was a volunteer in, uh, in some shelters around, uh, you know, around our county. And she's saying, she, she would tell me that like the shelters would just fill up with with huskies because they're a lot to deal with they're a lot to take care of and they jump the fences of their yard all the time and they'd run away and then uh they'd end up in the freaking shelter so a lot of huskies in the shelter the akc website cites in two different sections <laughs> that they need to be on a leash at all times in a securely fenced yard so you know when the akc's like laying it out there that that's a thing because they love their people and they love their jobs, um, they actually make kind of crappy guard dogs. Um, and they also don't really bark. Um, they kind of, you know, the, there's a lot, there's a ton of TikToks out there where you can watch these huskies making their howly talking, but they're not really barking per se. They're very independent. A very wise husky owner once told me that uh, the trick to working with them or just owning them generally um, is that a husky wants to work with you, not to be told what to do. They want to work alongside you. They don't want to be controlled by you. And if you think about it, um, that really makes sense because, you know, the way that these dogs functioned, the way their ancestors functioned, was that they needed to be independent. That's the way they stayed safe. That's the way they kept their humans safe, is the way they still keep humans safe. Um, sled dogs are constantly, they're making decisions on their own. They're making decisions as they're running 
uh, about their footing, about scents. They're making decisions about the thickness of the ice. Um, and that's all happening without the musher's guidance. Like those dogs, they are just doing their thing and going across all this terrain. And the entire time they're thinking, they're moving, they're, they're thinking about their footing, about what they see in front of them. So, you know, training them, if you're training them to be in a domestic setting where you're not running across hundreds of miles of ice every day, that can take a lot of time and patience because, you know, these guys kind of do what they want to do because that's really been the right thing for them to do for a very long time. And speaking of training them to be, you know, in a domestic kind of urban setting, we're coming to the present moment here. You know, what does this mean for Siberian Huskies today? Well, so these dogs, they want to run in a straight line in the snow for miles and miles. So put these dogs in a little itty bitty city apartment and you have a problem. Hence the furniture destroyers. Go to your nine to five job, leave the dog alone in the house and kiss your beautiful couch goodbye because they're just going to chew the heck out of that thing because they got nothing better to do. Their brains want to be occupied with running in a straight line in the snow. Speaking of the snow, let's talk about their coats, all their fur. Um, these guys have a double coat. And what that means is they have an undercoat and they have guard hairs. Um, now that means there's going to be hair all over your house. That's just the reality of the situation. Uh, you got to brush these guys. They take some grooming. Uh, anybody who owns a husky knows this, that like, you know, there's a fine patina of husky hair that kind of accumulates on your carpet, in your car. Um, weather can be rough for them. If you're living in LA with a double-coated dog, that's kind of gnarly for them. They're not going to be very comfortable wearing a, a, a winter coat all year long. But, you know... <sighs> Here's the thing, right, is they've got this gorgeous coat and these gorgeous markings and this ticked black and white fur and these ice blue eyes. They're very pretty. They're gorgeous. They make great Instagram photos. Um, you know, that's why they're popular. Uh, and the breeders of these dogs, they know that. Now, do you think that urban Siberian husky breeders are breeding for sled dogs? No, they, no, no. They're breeding for looks. They're breeding for the photos. Uh, it's thousands of dollars just for the look of that dog, for an accessory. Um, and they're left without a job and without a purpose. Now, just for funsies, I do want to talk about the Alaskan Husky. Now, the Alaskan Husky, that's the dog that my friend owns in Alaska. That's the dog that you'll see most commonly in Alaska in the, in the um, kennels of those uh, mushers who run the Iditarod. It's not really a breed. I mean, is it a breed? Uh, well, no. I mean, it's not, the Alaskan Husky is not officially recognized um, by the AKC, but it is definitely a thing. It is a human-created thing. Um, these are real sled dogs. They're bred for performance. They are not bred for Instagram photos. Um, sled mutts is kind of what they are. You know, they can look all kinds of ways. 
Because they're bred for endurance, they're bred for speed, um, they're bred to be athletes. And that means that the looks are a little bit less important. So, you know, you're going to see floppy ears, straight ears, uh, you'll see ice blue eyes, maybe, because um, there's some Siberian husky in there, there's some Malamute that's mixed in there. Um, but a lot of them don't have that at all. A lot of them look like border collies, or they look like Labrador retrievers. But it doesn't really matter what they look like, because all you want them to do is run and be smart. That's the thing that are important because that's what keeps the human beings alive and that's what keeps the dogs alive. Um, they're generally kind of medium-sized and they have a lighter build. Um, even the coats can vary. You know, not all of them have that double coat that the Siberian Huskies and the Malamutes have. If they're only running for short distances, they don't really need that. So they might have a light coat versus, you know, they may have some that have a double coat and those guys are better for long endurance rides. Um, now, I will tell to personal stories that I have from my trip to Alaska regarding these Alaskan Huskies. Um, one is my friend Michelle's wonderful dogs. She had two of them. And uh, those dogs were the happiest, most well-adjusted, you know, because you'd like, you know, like I said at the beginning of this, the veterinary technicians and the Huskies, you see one of those walk through the door and you're like, because they're just going to, they're going to sit in a cage. They're going to whine. They're going to scream. They're going to be dramatic. They're, gonna, they're not going to do what you want them to do. Um, they're not good with restraint because like that wise Husky owner told me they want to work with you. Not, not like be told what to do. And like, you know, a husky wants nothing less than to be restrained for a jugular blood draw. You know what I mean? I mean, we, I actually found like the best way to work with those dogs sometimes would be just to distract them by petting them on the head. And I would kind of just ease on to the back and get a little blood out of that little vein. That's their lateral saphenous in the back leg and not even bother. But see, they're super smart and they would sniff me out immediately. They're like, why is that girl in the scrubs getting all quiet back there? So they can be really difficult in the veterinary setting. But when I met these dogs that belong to my friend in Alaska, they were so wonderful. They're so calm. There was no neuroses. Well, maybe just a little bit, but barely any to speak of. We actually did this crazy thing where we took a hand tram, which is basically like a telephone booth sized box on a cable across a giant ravine with a gushing glacier river underneath it that you operate by hand over hand pulling this tram across uh, across the ravine with a cable and Michelle was like oh Wasatch will go with you and I'm like are you serious you're gonna put me in this like metal box uh, over a ravine blowing around in the freaking woods of Alaska with a husky d in the bottom of it <laughs> and that's fine but you know what she was fine she was great. She just laid there while we, hand over fist, pulled ourselves across the Alaskan uh, wilderness. So, you know, when, and it, a lot of it is because they were allowed to be themselves. They ran across glaciers. They chased beavers. They, you know, they ran around the Alaskan tundra. They, they did the things that Alaskan huskies want to do. So they did not have the neuroses that necessitated destroying your furniture when they're left alone in an urban apartment. So that was kind of a, a big eye opener for me that that's, that's what these dogs could be. Um, we also, while we were there, we visited, uh, an Alaskan, uh, Alaskan Husky Kennel that was run by one of the mushers uh, who re regularly ran the Iditarod, uh, which is the great race that we were talking about earlier, modeled off of the diphtheria toxin run in the 1920s in northern Alaska. Now, the Iditarod, that is no 
joke, dude. That is no joke. Dude was missing earlobes because his scarf slipped for a second during one of those races and they froze off and broke off, broke off just because his scarf slipped. Like that's what we're talking about. And guess who's just running in that? All the dogs, all the Alaskan Husky dogs, just running, just doing their thing. Now, when you visit this kennel, he gives you the whole history of them and how they care for them. I mean, 99% of success in that Iditarod race is the care of these animals because they're the ones who are actually pulling you across the freaking winter snow and ice. Uh, so he talks all about how they're fed, all about how they store their food, all about how they take care of their feet. There's just so much work that goes into it. And then they do this crazy thing called the I did a ride. Now it sounds really hokey, but it was so fun. They hook up the dogs to this like converted um, it looked like the back of a pickup truck that had been cut off, like this converted like cart with tires and a bunch of seats strapped in there. And us bumbling tourists would sit in these seats in this funky cart, and then they would hook all the sled dogs up to it, and they would pull this cart. And it was really fast. So, I mean... Just to give you an idea about how these dogs are bred for this activity. So when he, or when we first got to where we're going to get on this cart, like here's the Iditarod, we paid our money, we saw the puppies that were totally adorable, heard the story about all his like craziness in the Iditarod, heard the frozen earlobes falling off. Great. So now we're going to go on this ride. So we line up and the dude says, he's like, now I want to let you know that when the harnesses come out for these dogs, they're going to go crazy. They're going to go nuts. There's going to be howling. There's going to be barking. It's going to get really, really loud. So I just want to warn you about that. And it's going to happen immediately upon them hearing these harnesses. So sure enough, everyone's like, well, okay. Sure enough, he goes to the shed where they all are and he opens it up. And as soon as those harnesses start kind of like jingle jingling, that place went ape shit. Like those dogs were howling, barking, running around, jumping. And there's like a lot of them because, you know, they don't run all the dogs at the same time. And, and some of them, you know, they, they retire after they get to a certain age or if they have an injury or something. So there's a lot of dogs, but that doesn't mean that like every single dog didn't lose their mind when they heard those harnesses, because to them, that is like the most glorious sound in the world, because that means that they're about to do their job, which is all they want to do on earth. So then he gathered, like, I think it's like, oh, I should know this, but like, you know, there's a certain number that they hook up um, to, to pull this this crazy pickup truck cart full of tourists. There's like 11 or 12 of them or something. And they have a lead dog, you know, like a Balto dog. And then they have ones in the middle and ones in the back. And like, depending on how much, um, he has to balance it out. Like there's certain dogs that get along. There's certain dogs that don't get along. And so he's really conscious about which ones he's putting where. And he pointed out that one of the dogs, and he specifically chose this dog because everybody kind of hones in on it because it looks like the cartoon Disney character, Siberian Husky. He was like, I want you all to watch this dog. And it was this beautiful, ticked coat, gorgeous, double coated, beautiful Instagram dog. Dead center in the middle. And he was like, I want you to watch this dog after we take our first, uh, like our first journey, like the first half of the journey, because he's like, these dogs work so hard. They pull so hard. Their tongues are going to be lolling out. They're going to lay down. They'll be exhausted. And this dude is going to be standing up in the middle like nothing happened. And that's not because of endurance. It's because he is a pretty boy and he just lets everybody else do the work. He just is there for looks. He doesn't actually do anything. 
hilarious. So sure enough, dog's going, losing their mind, crazy, crazy, crazy. He mentions that the cart has a brake on it. And the brake is a really strong one. And he says, you're going to feel when you get in this cart and the dogs are hooked up, you're going to feel them pulling. The cart's going to move forward and move and jerk unpredictably because these dogs, all they want to do is run, run, run. And this brake has to be on the entire time because otherwise they're just going to pull you into oblivion. So sure enough, all the dogs hooked up and you can see them. They're like straining against their harnesses and like howling, like all their legs are kind of at an angle backwards because their entire body is pushing against the harness. And then he gives this big old shout of like, okay, hang on, here we go, cling. And he pulls the brake and it is literally like G-force. Like those dogs shot forward and they get quiet because all of a sudden they're working. So they shoot forward and all you hear is a of these like tires going over this like Alaska trail. These dogs harnesses jingling, running. And I can't remember how far we went. Like we definitely like did it for... I mean, I would say, like, I don't know, five to 10 minutes or something. I think the total I did a ride was like about a mile and a half or something. But so we're going on this dirt trail. And then about halfway through, he lets the dogs rest. And so they all rest. And sure enough, they're like <gasps> laying down, like their tongues are lolling out. Guess who's standing up in the center? Sure enough, this freaking Malamute just standing there, like not even phased. And he's like, you see that? You see that? This guy doesn't do anything. He's just there for looks. <laughs> I even wonder if they even ran him at all, like as an actual sled dog, or if they just keep him around because that's what everybody thinks they should look like. Because of course, all the other guys are all mutts, you know, they one ear up, one ear down. Like, you know, some of them looked like, I thought some of them looked kind of like, um, I think I mentioned this before, they look kind of like border collies, like, you know, like softer faces and longer coats and like longer legs, uh, kind of smaller size. But yeah, those those guys work hard, man. And of course, we got to pet them all um, at the end. Not all of them are amenable to being pet by strangers because they're very much attached to their person. Uh, but these dogs, they were, you know, they were used for tourism and used for people to come and meet them. So they were more amenable to being pet and, you know, and, and interacted with with strangers, which is really nice because you kind of got to. It was nice to be able to, like, interact with them after that amazing experience of ex of them pulling you around because you realize how much they love that job and how important that job is in the world of Alaska and in the places where there is literally no accessibility to smaller towns except for traveling uh, by, by dog sled. That's the only way that you can get places. And how much respect there is uh, for those animals and for the gargantuan task that they do every day just to keep their just to keep their people safe. Uh, and so, you know, I have to say this is a bit of a two-parter because, you know, we started out with the Siberian Husky as the stupid breed. Alaskan Husky, you get a free pass, bro. I feel like Alaskan Husky, different, different ball game, different ball game. Not, not a stupid breed. In the winter time, when all the leaves are brown and the wind blows, and the birds have all flown for the summer, I'm calling. Hear me call. Thank you so much for tuning in to Cat Disgusted. Um, look out for me in some conferences this year. I'm going to be at the AVMA in Philadelphia. Uh, I'll be at the IVEX. 
uh, conference. That's the one for emergency and critical care in San Antonio, Texas uh, this year. And uh, come see me do these words in person. And, uh, you know, if you want to keep being my friend's friends, don't come and see them at work with your husky. No. Go run in a straight line. Go. Go. Mush. Mush, you doggy. Mush. I'm calling. Hear me call.